Good morning, and welcome to Ask BBB. I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Monica Braz. Monica is the Director of Marketing and Strategic Initiatives for BBB Serving Western Ontario. And Ask BBB presents information from and about accredited businesses so that consumers are better informed about products and services that they're purchasing. Romance scams just don't want to go away. Recently, a woman in Norfolk County was scammed out of $300,000. On the final portion of today's program, we'll review how these scams operate and what you can do about it. The real estate market around London is still very active. In many cases, that means downsizing before a move. Grant Gardner of Gardner Auction Galleries joins us now to talk about how to sell some of the things that you've saved. Good morning, Grant, and welcome to Ask BBB. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, Grant, lots of people are at home thinking about changing their furniture, cleaning up some items. What is the process for people who are wanting to downsize or settle some of the items from an estate? The very first step is for myself or one of my sons to get a look at it. With the pandemic, a lot of that is being done by photographs where it is an entire household where photographs aren't feasible. We do send somebody out taking the normal safety protocols, but it all boils down to quality and quantity. And that is why we have to see it. We will not take anything in for sale unless we see it first and advise the potential consigner of its value. Uh, we don't like surprises. And I'm doing this almost a hundred years. Any problem we've had, which fortunately are very few and far between, is when the consigner had hopes that exceed what the true market value was. So that's the main step. We have to get a look at it first. Uh, does the photograph provide you with enough information to be able to make that appraisal, or do you actually eventually have to have it physically to, to make that appraisal? I hate to say on average, but probably, I, I will say it, well, 90% of the time a photograph is more than adequate because it's merchandise that we've handled before. We know exactly what it is. Every once in a while, though, we said we recently we had a picture of a bronze sculpture come in, um, and... I suspected it was a Henry Moore worth very, very great deal of money. That's something I had to handle in person. And another area that normally we wish to see in person is fine art. Seeing a picture of the front of a painting is not often adequate enough. We have to see the signature, how the signature is put on, the back of the painting, any gallery labels. But overall, furniture, china, glass, figurines, rugs, pictures are fine. Is there a cost associated with going through that appraisal process or is just that a service that you offer to customers? If it's by photographs, we give that a complimentary estimate. If it's an entire household within normal driving range, not outside London too far, we'll send a representative out, take a look at the house uh, contents and give a, an estimate, a fairly accurate estimate of what everything is worth that they're planning on selling. What we will not do is give individual prices on that type of call. Giving individual prices is an appraisal and that's using our knowledge and we do charge for that. A lot of our appraisals are done through trust companies and lawyers with the Ontario legislation being very firm now on probate value. Whether there's $500 or $50,000, they want an accredited appraiser from our firm to go look at it, put it in writing, what everything in that house is worth, 
and in that case, we charge a minimum of 150, and then it's based on time. What's involved in becoming an accredited appraiser, Grant? Well, there are courses available that teach you to be an appraiser, and my personal feeling on those, it's a waste of time because they teach you how to write a lot of fluff and all the preamble and conclusions and so on. But an appraiser has to know what the items are worth. And there is no way of knowing what things are worth unless you handle them every day and you sell them. Uh, I've been out through this all my life doing it. And I never really felt comfortable doing appraisals till I, I got to admit till I was in my early forties. Uh, because by that time I had seen and handled so many things. I, I had the, the knowledge to put a price on it. And even then I was running to my dad every once in a while saying, what's this worth? What's that worth? So you can be taught how to write an appraisal, but you cannot be taught what items are worth. That's just totally on experience. So let's talk a little bit about how things have changed. Like, um, you know, pre-COVID auctions may have been done on site. Um, how are things being managed now? And so how can people find out about what's available for auction or, you know, where their items will be displayed? Well, let me give you a quick background. Back in the 1970s and 80s, we were doing a lot of sales. It involved bringing the items to our building and setting up a sale, sending out FedEx ads to Toronto and Hamilton and Chatham to let people know where our uh, sales were, sending out a mailing list, which was very expensive, publishing a paper catalog that cost thousands of dollars. And I look back, I think, how on earth did we make money? Because that's totally changed now. Um, our own dedicated uh, list of buyers exceeds 20,000 people now and that we could never get 20,000 in a room before. We don't have to bring the items to our building. We prefer it, but you, we now have the option of selling it on site and it's all online. There's no printed catalog. There's no uh, providing seating and the security. It's, it's changed dramatically from just a few years ago. Or do I hear you saying that the live auctions just don't happen anymore? Jim, there's the odd art sale that are trying to have live auctions. And what they're doing is reserve seating. And where they used to have 200 people in the room, now they have 30 people in the room. And they're using Zoom technology and other avenues similar to that to have what they call online uh, live auctions. But... We don't see that being feasible in the long term. The, uh, I, I really feel sorry for the rural auctioneers who would have their spring farm sales and their fall house sales and all the people would drive up and, and gather around the auctioneers selling outside. Those days are over. You cannot do that. You can't safely do it and you can't legally do it. And um, I don't think it's ever coming back. One reason that we looked at doing Totally Online even before the pandemic, which we did, is we noticed that people under 35, 40 years old who are becoming our prime clients, they're the ones who are collecting art, they're the ones who are furnishing homes, not selling, they would not go to a live auction. They didn't, they came home from work, they wanted to sit home, relax, they did not want to park, get in their car, drive to an auction, sit there for four hours, and we noticed the crowds over time um, slowly getting smaller and smaller, and, and the number of people leaving bids, in other words, saying, I'm not coming to the auction, but go this high for me, was increasing. And we thought, this 
with the new technology. This is the future of auctions. The idea of a live auction, bringing hundreds of people together, I don't think is ever going to come back. You're listening to Ask BBB, and our guest is Grant Gardner of Gardner Auction Galleries. We'll return in a moment to talk about strategies that will help you to be the successful bidder when the auctioneer says sold. Welcome back to Ask BBB. You're listening to Ask BBB, and our guest is Grant Gardner of Gardner Auctions. So, Grant, as we've been discussing, there's been some changes in the auctioneer industry. So, what if you're a new person um, thinking about, you know, wanting to take a look at some items for auction? How do you find them? How do you get involved? How do you place a bid? How do, you know, how does somebody who's never done this before decide to get involved, and what do they need to do? The first step is... Google. Um, if you're looking for something in particular, you Google it and hopefully it will come up who's handling it. Um, we have people visiting our, we update our website two or three times a week with what's coming up in the near future. And people hit our, go to our website if they are new to auctions and they have no idea how to do it, they can call us. However, on our website is laid out fairly clearly how to register and how to bid and how to pay. Our auction program is totally integrated with the website. So there, if you sign in, you are given a, a bidder number, as you would at a live auction. Um, if you're new to us, we do sometimes ask for a credit card or reference. We, we, we are very careful that we, we know who our, our bidders are. Every item on our website is described and photographed and measured. We also do offer personal inspection, and we encourage that. We, we, a lot of people don't, but especially on items where there could be damage or multiple items in a lot, we more than welcome them to come in and look at it in person. That is now with the pandemic by appointment. Our door is locked. You have to buzz to get in. We have to control that. And for the actual bidding, once you have the bidder number, that bidder number is yours forever. And if you click on an item that you're interested in bidding, it will come up and say, how much do you wish to bid? Here's the next minimum bid. And you place the bid and then you will be notified by email if your bid is exceeded. You will also be notified if you are successful when the auction closes. Within a few seconds, you get an email invoice and then you can either come in and pay for it in person. You can, we don't keep credit cards on file. You can call us in a credit card or we can have it shipped out to you at a minimum cost. Everything is the same as a live auction. Seeing the item, bidding on the item, paying for the item, except it's online. Well, at the live auction, it would all happen in one day. What's the timing for uh, the online auction? Our normal format now, Jim, is once an auction is posted, we leave it a few days before the bidding actually starts. And the more unique the item, the longer that waiting period for word of mouth, for people to hear about it. For instance, we just recently had a collection of very high-end Southwest pottery, which is not very, it was a very specialized field. So instead of having that auction commence in a week, we let it sit there for I think a month and a half. And sure enough, we got interest from New Mexico, uh, down in Santa Fe, we got interest from California. And that's the beauty of the internet. We could never reach those people with a live auction. Depending on the specialty of the sale, it sits on our website, people can view it, they can call in questions. When the bidding actually starts, it starts on a Friday, and it runs for 10 days, that way we cover two weekends. 
and the auction ends on Monday, depending on how many sales we have, starting at 12 o'clock, but there's three auctions, it'll be 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, and 2 o'clock. The only exception to that is furniture, where we compress the timeline because it takes up so much floor space. Often the a furniture sale will only run for five days just to get it sold and out so we can set up the next one. So I also know, you know, if for the local London community, um, you have a storefront, as it were, um, down on Horton on Hamilton Road. So as can people just go by and the same items that are in the window would be like the same items that they can find online? Yes. And we get some of that, people driving by and seeing us for the first time. But being in business almost 100 years, that our vast number of our clientele, we're, we're, a, doesn't, we're a targeted business. They know we're here. We still like new people, though. We, we need that. Once people are exposed to auctions, we usually have them hooked when they get to see the quality and the quantity and the variety of items that come up where they can't buy anywhere else. Just in the last few weeks, I mentioned we had that Southwest Pottery, one bowl made 5,000. We just sold a 10-ounce gold bar. We've sold a Rolex watch. We've sold a teak patio set. I mean, it's just amazing the amount and the variety that comes through there. What are some of the things that people think might be hot items to sell that uh, they're disappointed and find those collectibles aren't as as worthwhile. The biggest disappointment are especially older people who treasure their dining room suites where they've had their Christmas dinners and their Thanksgiving dinners for 50 years and and they wanted to go to a good home or another family and and I have to be quite brutal with them to say the market for that, there's always exceptions, but for dining room suites is gone. Uh, Even ones I used to get 1500 for, which is an ordinary 1920s walnut, uh, I can't get 200 for them anymore, and that's devastating. But on the other side of the coin, there's pieces that they think are worth nothing, and we uh, do very well on it. I did one estate where they had an old teak little 1950 settee that the upholstery was ripped, ripped and had a broken leg, and I told them that's the most expensive thing in your house, and they said we were going to throw it out, and we got 2800 for it. So it's uh, there's two sides of the coin, but we're especially older people when they've collected Royal Dalton figurines and fine china. The market's there, but it's less than half what it was even five years ago. But you were talking about some items that you sold and you catered to the U.S. market. So I guess there, in, there are some cases where you can ship the items if people are from outside of the city. Yes, and our experience shows that the most expensive items leave London. Uh, the most expensive paintings, the finest silver, uh, they they go to out-of-town buyers. We still do some in London, but that, again, the beauty of the internet is you get a much wider scope of interested buyers. Grant, if someone has an item that they want to have appraised and or they want to take part in an auction, what's their best uh, procedure? The best thing is email us a photo, or conversely, they can bring it in to us, uh, especially you know small items, paintings, and so on. Again, we give a free verbal appraisal of what we feel the item is worth. When we accept items for sale, we do have to have a minimum quality level. If you bring us in items left over from a garage sale, you know, cookware and linens and towels and gardening equipment, we're not going to take that in. Uh, The cost of doing business has changed dramatically, where we used to take in consignments for $40, $50, $100. We can't do that anymore. 
Well, Grant, we want to thank you very much for your time here this morning. It's uh, always interesting talking to you, and I'm sure that there are people now scanning the household to A, see where there's room to put another item, or B, whether there's an item that they might want to have you appraised. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your time, Grant. Okay, Jim. Monica? Our guest has been Grant Gardner of Gardner Auction Galleries, an accredited business with the BBB with an A-plus rating. Search estate auctions in the BBB directory to find them. In a moment, the love story we hate to hear about. Welcome back to Ask BBB. I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Monica Brass. Monica, we've talked about romance scams on previous programs, but in light of the fact that a Norfolk County woman lost close to $300,000 on a romance scam, it, it seems worthwhile to bring it forward again. Yes, and especially with the isolation of COVID-19, it has made people even more vulnerable. According to one report, romance scams have cost Canadians an estimated $17 million. Wow, so when these scams happen, they have a very heavy impact on the, the victims. And there are likely others, Monica, who haven't even reported it. Absolutely. You know, these scammers can be very persuasive, and it all happens online or over the phone. The victims really never even meet these scammers face-to-face, and yet they've been taken advantage of. So what should people be aware of so they don't fall prey to this scam? Most romance scams start with fake profiles that are posted on internet dating sites. They're created by stealing photos and text from real accounts or elsewhere. Scammers often claim to be in the military or working overseas to explain why they can't meet you in person. Over a short period of time, the scammer builds a fake relationship with you, exchanging photos and romantic messages, even talking on the phone or through a webcam. Monica, I, I know couples that have met through one of these online sites and they're, they're very happy. So what are the tip-offs that Romeo might not be genuine? Well, if things are too hot to be true, Scammers offer up good-looking photos and tales of their financial success. But be honest with yourself about whom you're genuinely looking for and who also would be equally interested in you. If they seem almost too perfect, your alarm bells should ring and, and you should pay attention. As well, when they will try very quickly to get you to move communication to email, messenger, or on the phone. And once they're, they're talking by email or messenger, or even on the phone, they very quickly start talking about your future together, about love, about how they've never really felt this way before. And then they start talking about trust. And that's the first step towards asking for money. They are also a number of other tip-offs, like flowery language, hard luck stories. They avoid meeting in person. But once they ask for money, really, that is the biggest red flag. Well, we'll hope that people catch on before they lose money. Uh, How should they protect themselves? Well, never send money or personal information that can be used for identity theft to someone you have never met in person. Never give someone your credit card information to book a ticket to visit you. Cut off contact if someone starts asking you for information like credit card information, banking information, or government ID numbers. Ask specific questions and details about their profile. A scammer may stumble over remembering details or trying to make a story fit. And then that's a way that you can determine if somebody is genuine or not. And Monica, if people listening this morning make it a topic of conversation with family and friends, they just might help prevent someone from falling victim. 
Absolutely. That's one of the key things. A lot of times people don't talk about what's happening with this relationship. And that would be, a, you know, something to do because friends and family can sometimes identify when we might get scammed. You can also read more details on the BBB website and remember to check the BBB scam tracker regularly to see what scams are active in our particular area as well as across North America so that you can be prepared for some of the scams that may come into our area from across the country. And Monica, that's our time for Ask BBB for this week. Well, contact us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at BBB Western ONT. If you have a question or a guest suggestion, tweet us at hashtag AskBBB. And if you're interested in becoming a BBB accredited business, visit us online at BBB.org and become part of one of the largest business networks in North America. And thanks for listening this morning. Until next time, I'm Jim Swan. And I'm Monica Brass. Remember, Ask BBB. And start with trust. <laughs>